after hearing that, I can hardly wait to hear me preach. <laughs> it gets uh, kind of emotional when you uh, look at your life from my vantage point. Uh, next, next week, August 17th, um, is my 73rd birthday and also our 49th wedding anniversary. I got married on my birthday. Never have I forgotten my anniversary. <laughs> and, and my wife, Belinda, there. Belinda, stand up on the pew, let people see. You know, she... <laughs> but um, Lamar, Isaac's dad, is the best friend I had in this world ever. We knew each other. We're lifelong friends from Graham, North Carolina. Graham High School, 1968, Lynchburg Baptist College. We served on the board of the Liberty Church Planting Network, the Liberty Church Network now, for many, many years. And uh, I remember when Isaac was born. It was quite an adventure surrounding his birth, uh, his sweet mother, his family. And we, Belinda and I were privileged to be a part of that family. We vacationed with Lamar and Debbie, just, you know, you know the routine. And it's just friends are precious. And I am so proud of you, son. Your dad was proud, and he would be so proud to be here and see this. And I am thankful for the privilege to be here since we retired from Harvest. We, Blend and I have been in a different church every single Sunday since uh, the last Sunday of March. Uh, from Lexington, North Carolina to Danville, we were at the Tabernacle and uh, everywhere in between, but this is just a highlight. It is just a privilege to be here. Um, Forty-nine years of marriage. How many of you been? How many of you been married uh, twenty years or better to this to the same person? Let me see your hand. <laughs> but marriage is complicated, isn't it? For, after forty-nine years, you would think we had it down, but. <clears throat> You know, last year for our anniversary, we were in Gibsonville, North Carolina, where your mother's hometown, Isaac's mother's hometown, a little place there right outside Burlington. And we were in an ice cream shop where my granddaughter worked, and then we were walking up the street, and there was a jewelry store there, a, a pretty a renowned jewelry store. They, they keep unique pieces, and we were looking in the, the window, and there was a, a, ne- a necklace, a diamond necklace in that window there, the centerpiece, and we remarked how beautiful it was, and I think I remarked, I bet how expensive it is, but we went on, you know, and so then a couple of days later, Belinda said, Larry, I had the strangest dream last night, I I, I seldom ever dream, but I dreamed you gave me that necklace (laughs) for our anniversary, and she said, what do you think that means, and I said, well, darling, I don't know, and, and, but then a couple of days later, she said, Larry, I I know this is odd, but I had the same dream. I dreamed you gave me that diamond necklace for our anniversary. What do you think that means? And lo and behold, she had that dream three times, and three times she said, what do you think that means? And I said, darling, I don't know, but, man, I am not an idiot, amen? <laughs> so for our anniversary, I gave her a book on how to interpret dreams. <laughs> you can't win. You know, you just can't win. (laughs) 
All right, you're going to have to calm down. I got to preach, okay? <laughs> Isn't it great to be in the Lord's house and have liberty and freedom in the Holy Spirit? You know, you have a good time and uh, serve the Lord. And I, I have always, that's what Lamar and I had in common. We, we were just normal people. Well, we weren't normal, but, we, you know, we were people. And we, we loved each other and could be, be ourselves. And being a, a grandparent, now that's another thing I could talk about a long, long time. How many grandparents we have in here? Amen. The reward for not killing your children when you should have is your grandchildren. <laughs> But I have this poem, and then, then I will preach. Uh, I have this poem that perfectly sums up why it's great to be a grandparent. I've seen the lights of London. I've seen the lights of Rome. But I love to see the taillight of my grandchild going home. <laughs> Perfect. I'm going to preach a message this morning. Um, as I feel led by the Spirit of the Lord, you know, of course, we always say that. But this is a message I preached at Harvest. I, uh, I transitioned for two years. I was the, I, tr- I planted, Har- and I planted Harvest Baptist Church, pastor for 40 years. Saw it grow from nothing to attendance of over a 1,000 by the grace of God. And uh, we passed it this morning on the way over here and parking lot was full and we blessed our hearts to see God blessing and using it. But we transitioned for two years with a young man who had been in our church his whole life and been on staff with me. And when January, when Lamar died and I helped, had the privilege of help preaching the funeral service, I came back to harvest the next Sunday and preached this message. And it was based on the experience of my my friend, who I still miss every week. I still have Lamar's number in my phone. I can't erase, bring myself to erase it. But I came and preached this message, and it's life lessons I've learned. Life lessons I've learned. It is nothing profound. It is not some exegetical, expository masterpiece But it is based on three basic principles of Scripture that are found throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, basic principles. But they are things that I think will be relevant to your life if you would ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through me this morning. And I'm going to start by reading two passages of Scripture uh, that are very familiar. One, James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 4. And they are side by side there at the, at the end of your New Testament. We'll start with James 4. Verse 13. James, who is the half-brother of our Lord Jesus... He said, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go do such and such and to go to such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, because you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or do that. Now, we go over to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Peter says, Beloved, writing to fellow believers, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which has come to try you, as though some strange things happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Then verse 15, he he cautions, he said, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or thief or an evildoer or a busybody or in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Now, let's stop right there. Two familiar passages of Scripture that just make the point or reference the points I'm going to make this morning. I'll try to be brief. Three points. Life lessons I've learned. Bible principles for living. One, I've learned... That life on earth is a test. Life is a test. Peter says, don't think it strange concerning this fiery trial that has come upon you. Beloved Christians, don't be surprised when you have trouble. And Peter says, fiery trial. Now, in in the Greek... Uh, the scripture, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the scriptures, there are words that are translated trial, refining, test, over 200 times in the Bible. Same Greek root word, but different places. It Sometimes the, the writers call it a trial. Sometimes they call it a test. Sometimes they call it a refining process. But what... The word basically means is to prove the quality of something. To prove the quality of something. And life on earth is a test. In Genesis 22, the Bible says God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. God proved the quality of Abraham's faith. And what was that story, Genesis 22? You can go back and read it later. It's the story of him sacrificing Isaac. God gave him that son in old age, the, the jewel of his life, the apple of his eye, the centerpiece of God's purpose. And yet God says, when this kid is 15 or 16 years old, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him. Go over to Mount Moriah but you had to travel the ways to get there, sacrifice it. And, and we don't have any dialogue in Scripture that says Abraham argued with God or questioned God. Although human nature being what it is, I'm sure Abraham did, whether he did it out loud or not, I'm sure he thought, what in the world? But they get to Mount Moriah, the place that God told him to go. He takes this kid and on the way up, you, you know this story, Isaac says, Father, because Isaac had 
sacrificed to God with his father many, many times, for it was the way you worship God. And Abraham had taught his son to love God, honor God, worship God. And so it was Isaac knew about sacrificing. And he said to his father, Father, I see the fire and I see the wood, because they had to have fire because they didn't have little Zippo lighters or matches. I see the fire and I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says these classic words, son, God will provide himself a lamb. Remember that? And so we go to the top of the mountain, builds the altar, puts the wood, lights the fire, puts his son over there, and he's about to plunge the knife into his chest. And God says, Abraham, stop. And then we... The ram was caught in the thickets with his horn and was the sacrifice. We know that story, wonderful story. What was that about? Life's a test. God tested Abraham. Says it from the very beginning, Genesis 22, 1, the very first verse of that whole episode. God tested Abraham. Later on in the, New, uh, the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 32, the Bible says God withdrew from Hezekiah, king of Judah, that he might know what was in his heart. Hezekiah was surrounded by his enemies, and God withdrew. You ever feel God withdraw from you? You ever have a time in your life when you're going through a trouble and you're going through a trial, and it seems like the heavens are brass, and you, you pray, and they just bounce right off, and everything goes wrong? Life's a test. Life's a test. God withdrew from Hezekiah at a moment of crisis, that he might know all that was in his heart. Now listen, God didn't need to learn what was in Hezekiah's heart, for God is omniscient. God knows everything. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He knows everything. So a test is not so that God can see what we'll do, for he, he knows but a test is to reveal sometimes ourselves. We, we reveal me to me, so to speak. Life is a test. And what is a test? To prove the quality of. To find out what you know. To find out what you've learned. They give tests to prove the quality of your education. You know, you, you go to college, they give you a syllabus. On this day, you're going to have a test. And this day, you're going to have a midterm. This turn. You're going to have a final, and it'll count for so much of your grade. Remember those days? But, and I, when I was in high school, I used to really hate the thing. We'd go, to, go into class, and the teacher would say, okay, get a paper and pencil, because I'm so old. When I went to high school, we used paper and pencil. <laughs> get out a paper and pencil. We're going to have a pop quiz, pop test. Oh, I, I hated those things. I hated teachers who gave those things, you know. <laughs> But I did it all in Christian love. <laughs> Pop quiz. And you know, you go through life, you'll be minding your own business, serving the Lord, reading your Bible, praying, and there's a pop quiz. Trial, trouble, health, finances, job, relationship. Pop quiz. Life's a test. Peter said, Beloved, don't think it's strange when some fiery trial comes upon you. you don't, you've been watching too much Christian TV 
where some of those people tell you things that really aren't biblically based, where God wants to solve all your problems, meet all your needs, give you plenty of money. That has not been my experience in the Christian life. I was up at 2 o'clock one morning. I'd, I'm not a good sleeper. Um, I was flipping through the channels 2 o'clock, and there was this guy on Christian TV, and he had miracle wallets. This has been some long, long time ago. This guy had a miracle wallet. And if you sent him, if you planted a seed in his ministry of $500,000, he'd send you a miracle wallet, and that wallet would draw money to you. So I was, you know, I called because it's, I mean, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I called and I said, you know what that guy needs? He don't need my seed. He needs to get one of them miracle wallets of his, of his own. Amen. <laughs> Life is a test. And I, I, ladies and gentlemen, I have lived a long time. And I want you to know that you never get old enough. You never get smart enough. You never get spiritual enough. You never read your Bible enough. You never pray enough. You never go to church enough that life doesn't give you test. Life's a test. You go through deep waters. And God does that for two, two reasons, basically. One, to build character in our lives. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. But God uses trial and trouble in our life to build character and reveal character. Dr. Falwell used to say, trouble doesn't make a man. Trouble reveals what a man is. And the truth is, trouble does both. Test, difficult people, conflict, what you name it. Life is a test. God doesn't tempt us to do evil, but God tests us. But here's the wonderful thing about God's test. They are always for our good and his glory. Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, not everything is good, but God uses everything in your life for good. And you see, the beauty of me being here today is I don't know you and you don't know me. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you live or what, who you are or anything about you. But I know this, that when there's some people in this room right now, you're going through a real test. You are going through some deep, deep waters. And you feel we're human. We have our emotions that get twisted and wrench but God loves you God is not angry with you God is not upset with you and when you have a problem you have a trial you say God search me Lord because one of the reasons God brings tests in your life to draw you to him cleanse yourself draw near to him he'll draw near to you but there's a purpose and a plan for whatever's going on in your life and I want to tell you that purpose and plan is good for you if you trust him. He is already at work in your life, in your heart, in your circumstances. But don't be angry. Don't be upset. Don't get bitter. Because life's a test. Second thing I've learned in my 
existence on this planet is that life's a trust. Life's a trust. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, For who makes you different from another? What do you have that you didn't receive from God? Now, if you received it, why do you boast about it that you didn't receive it? Everything belongs to God. My grandmother used to say, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills they dwell on. And she used to say, and he owns the potatoes in the hills. I never understood what that was about. To me, potatoes come from food line. I don't know anything about teals, you know. God owns everything. So I must do everything with his will in mind. God owns everything. We say that, but do we believe it? Everything you have was given to you by God. Your wife, your husband, your children, your wealth, your health. We were in Dallas, Texas, Belinda and I, when we were early years of our marriage. We got married in 74. We went to Texas in 75. We had our first daughter, Heather, in Dallas, Texas. And... I was young and inexperienced, and I was the assistant pastor, Central Park Baptist Church, Carrollton, Texas. And Pastor Slayton, a good man, taught me a lot, was out of town, and we had a family in the church that had a crisis. They had a, a child suddenly to die. Now, you, you're a green kid, and you got to walk into a hospital room where a family, when that morning they woke up and their kid was running and playing and riding his bicycle, and now he's dead. What are you going to say and what are you going to do? And I have no idea what I said. But I do remember what the father said. He said, let's, I said, let's pray. And so we held hands and I was going to pray. And he started praying. He said, God, how could you do this to us? And I thought, oh, me, what am I going to do? But then he prayed and he said, but God, I know that you're in charge of everything. And I know you love us. And he said, God, thank you for being able to trust us with this and I I thought goodness what that kind of spiritual maturity was so far above my pay grade at that time but I've since learned we talk about I trust God I trust God what can God trust you with the slightest thing goes awry in your life and you fly off the handle. Can he trust you? Can he trust me? Life is a trust. Everything that you have. And as Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be his name. 
Life's a test. Life's a trust. Life is a trust, and, and, it, and it goes to everything. Most, I've lived my whole life as a Baptist. I've been a, a Baptist my whole ministry life. And uh, I know this, Baptists are some of the weirdest people I've ever met in my life. And there's a, a kind of a Baptist distinctive, we call, we call them the Baptist distinctives, but this is a distinctive Baptist shun, but it's true about them. The average, your average Baptist lives life compartmentalized. And it's probably the average Christian, if the truth is known. Over here, you have your spiritual life. You read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you say grace, whatever. And over here is the rest of your life. Your job, your vacation, what you buy, what you drive, where you live. That's different. Whereas God says, no, all that's mine. You know, God is just as much concerned with and in charge of what kind of car you buy is where you go to church. I give my my tithe, my offering, and the rest of it's mine. That is not what Jesus said. Do you know that if you, you go to the four Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, and then add John in, money, prayer, faith, heaven, hell, those subjects. Do you know that Jesus Christ talked more about money than he did in prayer, faith, heaven, and hell combined? What did Jesus say? He summed it up. Where your treasure is, where your treasure is, where your stuff is, where your money is, there will your heart be. And then he went on to say, if you haven't been faithful in unrighteous mammon, money, stuff, Who's going to trust you with the true riches of the kingdom of God? Everything you have belongs to him. You cannot outgive him. Life is a trust. And you, your children, your grandchildren, your house, your cars, your finances, your health, Here it is, God, you, here it is. Your dad taught me so much about this subject, Isaac. Here it is. Life's a trust. You can trust God. God loves you. God cares for you. God takes care of his own. You can trust God, but live your life so that God can trust you. Because life is a trust. The third thing I've learned about life is that life on earth is a temporary assignment. It's a temporary assignment. Good night. And I, I know that more and more as I get older. I, uh, I'm a runner. I, I, I used to be a runner. That's one of the things Lamar and I bonded over. We used to go run races all the time, 5K. 
I've run a half marathon. I've run a marathon once. Uh, and, and I used to be a runner. Then I got older and I became a walker. Now I'm a crawler. <laughs> but I still try exercise every day by the grace of God. But it doesn't matter. You can't. There's no fountain of youth. Life is a temporary, 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 temporary assignment. And the older you get, the more you realize that. Now, I understand you, you kids here, the teenagers, God bless you, you know you're going to live forever. You, you think that. Because that's what I thought when I was your age. I'm going to live forever. And all these other people get old and antiquated, but not me. We, we, used, to, we used to go out and I'd say, Belinda, I'd, I'd point to some older person. And I'd say, do not ever let me go out in public looking like that. <laughs> and the other day I said, I'm going over to the hardware store. And she said, Larry, remember you said don't ever let you go out in public. <laughs> what is your life? It's a vapor. It appears for a little while. And it's gone. Our days on earth are like a shadow, Job said. Life is temporary. You, you, can, you know that by the way Scripture refers to God's people on this earth. You're aliens. You're pilgrims. You're strangers. You're exiles. This world's not your home. Don't, don't put your roots too deep here. You're just passing through. And God's goal for us in the, on this earth is not prosperity, popularity, or success as the world defines it. When, when I was 16 years old, I lived with my mother and my grandmother. Uh, my dad and mother divorced. I like to say they divorced before divorce became cool. I was the only kid in uh, my class. My parents got divorced. Lamar, that's one thing that bonded us together. His parents got divorced and they remarried each other. But we, we had a lot common family-wise. He lived with his grandmother. I lived with mine. But one day my grandmother said to me, I'm sitting there with my mom, my grandmother on 303 Providence Street in Graham. She said, Larry, I believe God's got his hand on you. I believe, I believe God might call you to full-time service. I was, I was just a young, I was a teenager. But see, I'm, still, I'm telling you that story now. What a profound impact it had on my life. But you know what I found about the generation of people in, that I pastored in Harvest Baptist Church in Burlington, which they were good to me. I was, I was with them 42 years. They loved me. I loved them. We, but you know what? They, many of them did not want their children to be called into ministry. They wanted their children to go into a profession that they could make good money. They would be disappointed if their kids said, I want to be a preacher. Because there's no money in that, relatively speaking. We were in, Lynn and I were in Bristol, Tennessee. It's been some years ago now. And we were, we were there to uh, bury a guy named Jack Branch. Bobby and Karen Branch went to college with us. They were there, there at the early days of Lynchburg Baptist College. 
and we've been friends all these years. And Bobby passed the church in Bristol, Tennessee. And so when his dad died, Papa Jack, they called him, we went. I helped bury him. And we were sitting in a funeral home, chapel, and Jack was laying in a coffin. I think Jack was 91 or 2 when he passed. And I I watched. I was sitting there just kind of out of the way. I was with the family. And uh, they came in and they held up. Jack's great-grandson let him look in the coffin. Came back over and sat on the front row right there where you're sitting. And I was kind of behind him, Belinda and I. And so this, this kid is Braden. He said, Mama, what? He had to be six years old at the oldest. What? Mama, I thought you said Papa Jack was in heaven. He is in heaven. Mama, He's in that box up there. And I I thought, you know, out of the mouth of babes. But you know what scripture teaches us? That we are not, listen, we do not have souls. We are souls and we have a body. God created Adam from the dust of the earth. And God breathed, sume, sume. He breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. So your mind, your will, your emotions, your spirit is what bears witness with God. But what happened when I was going to be born, God created me. This, this, these my notes right here represent God creating me. Who I am, Larry Lambert. My mind, my will, my emotions. And when I was to be born in this earth, this God created a body and he put me in that body. And I was born August 17, 1950. Bouncing baby boy, Charles and Eula Lambert. And my body grew. Body of flesh. The Bible says flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So one day, when I die, God's going to call my body. From my body, he's going to call me home. My spirit, I'll leave that body. You've been in a funeral home a hundred times. There, they, there you are. Your loved one, his body's there. Her body's there. But they're not there. You can say, oh, mama, oh, daddy. You can lean over the coffin, hug them, kiss them. But it's not the same. They're not there. They're not there. They're gone. Where are they? They're with the Lord. Where do they look like? That's above my pay grade. But I know this, that God is going to take that body, and he's going to make it an eternal body. Wherever it is, whatever happens to it, whether it's burned, whether it's at the bottom of the ocean, whether it's cremated, whatever, God, again, that's above my pay grade. But the second coming, there's going to be the glorious resurrection, we're going to be reunited with our body, our, our not a flesh and blood body, but an eternal body, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But you see, life's a temporary assignment. And this old flesh and blood body, the reason it pops and cracks and had to have knee surgery and my back hurts, is because it groans. Romans 1. Because it's just a temporary dwelling. 
It's just a tent. And ladies and gentlemen, you and I are not in the land of the, of the living going to the land of the dying. We're in the land of the dying. We're going to the land of the living. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, I can see it afar. My father waits over the way. He's prepared me a dwelling place there. And life is temporary. But we're all eternal. We're, listen, right now, you are an eternal being. Wherever you are, how old you are, you're going to be somewhere forever. The difference is location, location, location. Where are you going to be? Heaven or hell, depending on what you do with Jesus Christ. Do you know that you know that you know him? For that is all that matters. Life is temporary. And we leave a legacy behind. Not stocks, not bonds, not our, not our stock portfolio. We leave our legacy behind of what we've done for Jesus Christ. I pray every day. I pray the prayer for my children. I pray the same prayer for my grandchildren. That God would make my grandchildren mighty in his spirit and mighty in his kingdom. Someone said, the greatest impact you have on the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Life's a test. Trust him. He's working. Life's a trust. Live your life so God can trust you. Have values. Have principles so that God trusts you. Because he, the more he trusts you, the more he blesses you. And life's temporary. Make, make your life count and leave a legacy behind. Train those that God has given you influence over. Because one day we will be gone. But we will forever be with the Lord Jesus. Aren't you glad that we have that blessed hope in him? Amen. Would you bow with me in just a word of prayer? I'm going to pray with you and for you, and then I'm going to step down and let you close the service as normal. But I want to pray with you and for you. Perhaps you're here right now. Again, the quietness of this moment, I've asked that you not look around because what, what happens now in your heart and your life is between you and the Lord because I can't, I can't do anything to help you and pray for you. you. You can pray for me, but it's between us and God, our relationship. But are you going through a test? Are you having a hard time? And, you know, even, you know, sometimes we go through a test because we do foolish things. But even then, God loves you. God's not mad at you. And you may know why you're in this test. You may have done something foolish, but God forgives you, and God will use that for your glory. You can trust him. But are you going through a test, a trial, some uncertainty in your life? If you are, would you just lift your hand and say, pray with me and for me, Pastor Lambert. Just put your hand up all over this building. If you're going through, I see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? 
Thank you. You can put your hands down. And life's a trust. You know, sometimes you test. You're tested because God trusts you. He'll give you grace and strength. I pray. I'm going to pray that you have that. And then finally, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that is the only thing that matters. When you're gone, no matter how long you live, when you're gone, the only thing that matters. Where are you? Trust Him as your Savior. Call on the name of the Lord. You shall be saved. And I'm sure anybody here after the service would help you. I'll be down front. Anything we can do to help you. Father, I pray that you'd bring forth fruit that would honor and glorify Jesus Christ from this message. Lord, this service, the songs that have been sung, sung, the prayers that have been prayed, the words that have been spoken, may Jesus Christ receive glory and honor. Lord, for that person here that is going through some deep water in their life, a trial, a tribulation, I pray that you might offer comfort, strength, and encouragement to them. Let them know that you are already at work. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live so that you can, we can be trusted to honor you with everything you've given us. And then, Lord, I pray especially if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ. Lord, I pray that not one person of the sound of my voice today, whether they, they heard it online or, or in this service, I pray that not one person who heard this message or was in this service would miss heaven. We trust you. May your Holy Spirit bring forth fruit that will count not just for time but for eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.